Well, how you doing, Olive Ranch? This side's doing good. How's this side doing over there? Hope you're doing well at home too. Hey, uh, we are t- continuing in this series on uh, on screen, and we're looking at these suckers. Yes, we're talking about various screens. Oh, hold on a second. Sorry. Mm, okay. Oh, <laughs> wait, 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 wait. Why are you even texting me? You're right here, for goodness I sake. I feel uncomfortable talking to you face to face. Oh, you don't even have a face. You're a computer. Is this better? Oh, cut it out. Obviously, no, that's not better. I want to have a conversation uh, not about Hal's um, anger with me, but I want to talk to you guys again about this thing called um, to the technological revolution. Hey, we have looked at the fact that over the last 50 years, things have been moving dramatically. We have been seeing a shift in our culture, in our lives, that has been equal to that of the agriculture, from the agricultural movement to the industrial revolution. And we don't know how this is going to come out. We don't know how this is going to wind up, but we've been looking at various aspects of this, from how it's tossing things like a wave, including our family. And so we are discussing the fact that a family charter gives us that opportunity, like that surfboard, to surf that wave instead of being tumbled and fumbled and bumbled by that wave. We looked last week at our lives and our spiritual walk with God and the tornado of technology that's going on with all of its distractions, with all of the temptations, everything it's flinging at us. I called you guys to prepare a space, prepare your tech, get yourself in a place where you can be in the presence of God and engage with him. And this week, I want to talk about the technological revolution in another way, in this kind of face-to-face problem that we have. I want to talk about how it's more like a rip current. You guys know what a rip current is? Um, my son, Jonathan, knows exactly what a rip current is now. If you, uh, this last summer, he was out with his cousin out kind of swimming around at the beach, and our family was there, and... There was a certain section of the beach that was kind of blocked off, and the lifeguards were saying, do not go out in that area. It's got a strong rip current pulling towards the rocks. We don't need you guys out there. And my son's out there playing in the water, and he's a little far away, a few hundred yards from my wife, and he's not really noticing that him and his cousin are getting closer and closer and closer to this ripped current, and it's getting stronger and stronger. And my wife describes it as like, she saw this little tuft of blonde hair, and these little eyes suddenly become really big eyes in a tuft of blonde hair, struggling to pull himself up from this current that was pulling him quickly away. Now, my daughter and her start to scream and yell. They're like, oh my gosh. And so my wife's running and yelling as hard as she can, you know, running as hard as she can through waves, yelling as loud as she can, because she doesn't have a very loud voice. And so she manages to finally, finally kind of stumble. And my daughter's like, tells the story like it's funny, but it's not funny because it's super scary. And she's imagining my son vanishing off into the distance of the ocean, never to be seen again. And somehow they manage to get themselves out of it. And my son winds up on the shore, wiped out, exhausted, near tears, not wanting to go back in the beach. He's done, right? He's just like, I'm done. I want to go home. I'm, I'm, this is over. We praise God that he was fine. But that kind of, what's dangerous about that kind of rip current is you don't see it. A riptide is pulling you from underneath the waves. It looks great. It looks normal. looks awesome until you get in it, and suddenly you're being drugged out to sea. The opposite direction of the waves would be pushing you, you think. 
And so the same way, we have these rip currents that are pulling through our society right now. They're pulling on each of us, and if you're not aware of them, they're going to yank you further and further away from the shore of community, from that connection with other people into isolation and into this world that often technology is leading to. Now, what I want to do is talk about these currents, and I want to talk about some navigation techniques in this message today. But again, reminding us of a couple of things. While technology is powerful and may have some of these currents involved, the technology itself isn't evil, right? We've already referenced that. I'm not saying go home, smash your computers, and throw everything away. Let's go back to the Stone Age. No, I am saying it's humans that are evil. It's the technology that is at least a blessing from God. And it's how we use it that we need to be careful with. And it's how we engage with it that we need to be aware of. And the more aware of we are, the more we can address these issues from our theology, from our Christian faith, to engage in a world of transformation around us and engage it rightly. I would even say to come to the point where you and I are being leaders in this idea of community. See, everything around us, all of the spirituality that's being propagated right now that's popular, is all about you finding it within yourself. If you can find your spirituality, get alone, seek yourself, get centered, be, be with you, and, and you will discover the answers to life. You'll find out what it's about, and yet everything that we will see is also isolating you to the point where you're, they're trying to get us all by ourselves. And as Christianity, we've not been saved alone, have we? We've been saved into a family. We've been saved into a community. We've been saved into what was called the church. And so this is a vital thing that we get right. And if we see these currents, our communities will begin to heal and they will become stronger. So you guys ready? Let's look at some currents here. The first current that we're dealing with in this current technological revolution is actually this idea of that screens make us more isolated. And that's the first point. What, and we, I think we all know this. We see it all the time. Um, many of us are always alone together. I've gone, I go to Chick-fil-A regularly and it's um, kind of one of those funny things while I'm sitting there. People get off work and friends come off of school and they sit down and they're all talking for about three minutes and then eventually the phones come out, right? And then everybody's scanning. All four, all three, all five, doesn't matter how many people there are, everybody's got their phone out. Everybody's having a quick statement and then they're scanning through their photos, through their Instagram, through their whatever they've got going for them. And so we know this. We can even have a family gathering. How many of you have had this happen? You're in the same room with your family and you're all watching something completely different. Because you all got your earbuds in, you're watching your own thing, one person's playing a game, something may be on the main TV, a couple other people are watching that. And the whole point is that you can be together in a room in seeming community and you're all alone. And this is what is being shown over and over and over again, as uh, one of these people I've been talking about, Sherry Turkle has illustrated it, that we are more alone together than ever. And what happens is it trains us to enjoy us. It is more convenient to please me than a group. Would you all agree with me on that one? I'm not me, but you. You're, you're, it's easier to please yourself than it is to please the other people around you. You know how it's how, what you like. You know how good you like it. You know what you want to do. And so when it comes to community time, when it comes to dealing with other people, what they're finding in the generations that are growing up with this technology is they would rather just do themselves. They would rather just do what they want to do. They'd rather just hang out on their screens in their way and then I will engage with you when I want to, then have to deal with people. They don't want to make a phone call. They don't want to hear a voice. They want to just, you know, be good with keeping us, keeping you, me keeping you where I want you, which is how I want to communicate to you through a phone, especially if there's tension. 
man, I don't want to talk to you face to face. I just want to text you and tell you, sorry, or you're a jerk, and then just leave it and walk away, right? Then this is the difficulty. We're moving further away, and it's become convenient to cancel community, right? I mean, let's be honest. You've got small groups. Many of us are in small groups, and what's going on in a lot of our small groups about roughly this time and just earlier in this season of our small groups, it's very easy to have people just go, hey, I can't make it tonight. Now, imagine you didn't have text. Imagine back when we had phones. You had to listen to the person say, I'm sorry, I can't make it tonight. And there was always the pushback, wasn't it? Oh, what's going on? We're still going to miss you. And suddenly you're like, oh, I feel guilty. Well, so-and-so is sick. Now you're lying because really the problem is you didn't finish your work. That's really the problem. And we want, and we have excuse. Sometimes it's just not convenient to go to small group. It's just not fitting in my schedule. In fact, some of us have gotten so used to calendaring people and cal- using people as what we want because it's convenient for us, we leave our options open. Have you done this? I've done this. I don't make a commitment because I'd much rather just say, maybe, because something better might come along. I don't want to lock myself down. Now, that's a phenomenon that's always been around, but it's far easier with a text message. Oh, so sorry, can't make it. Boom, done, solved that. Hey, dude, I'm coming over. Wrong stream. What's going on? You weren't supposed to come over, right? You ever done that one? The problem is we think we're communicating, we think we're connecting when we're just holding people off at a distance so we can have them where we want them. And this kind of community situation is creating difficulty in all kinds of realms, of pulling together for parties, of having opportunities for learning. We literally will not commit until the week of many times because we just want to keep the options open. And it's easier just to be alone. And to be quite honest, many times we choose not to go be with people because it's easier to watch that show, to hang out by myself, to communicate as I want to on social media or whatever and feel like I've been connected when I'm all alone. And so this is a problem. It's pulling us to make us isolated. It's pulling us to make us alone. But we forget. Way back in the Garden of Eden, after Adam had been formed out of the dust of the ground, God breathed into his nostrils, he became a living being. He raised him up. He says, hey, this is your garden. I got tons for you to do. This is beautiful. We're going to have a blast here. And he says these words. He goes, first and foremost, it is not good that man should be alone. It's not good that man should be alone. I'm going to make a helper fit for him. And suddenly now he makes Eve. It is not good that we're alone. It is not good to find yourself isolated. It isn't healthy. That's where the weird thinking kicks in. That's where you don't have somebody to talk to, to evaluate how you're thinking or what you're thinking. Depression is more prone. There are more difficult situations you'll find emotionally when you're alone because God didn't design us to be alone. You see, Our God is not a mono-God, just all alone, one dude who was lonely in heaven way before he created anything. What we have is a Trinitarian God, a Father, a Son, and a Holy Spirit who are all God, three persons in eternal community, never alone, never bored, didn't need to make us, but chose to make us. And when he created humanity, he made us after his image. And if God is an eternal community, guess what? That means he made you and I to be community-oriented beings. As introverted as you are, you need people. We are made for connection. We are made for community. We are made for this intimate connection with other human beings so that we can be fully functioning. And the more isolated we become, the more isolated this younger generation has become, the higher the rates of depression, suicide, and other things have been directly correlated. 
It's incredible what we're running into, but that's the first current. And the reason why it's dangerous and why it causes depression and causes this kind of isolation is because of the second current. What's that second current? Well, it's that screens help us edit ourselves. They end up being that thing that enables us to just present the best me or the right me. Maybe it's not the best you, but at least it's the you you would like to present at that time. It's the text you want to send. It's not just random gibberish that you might have said when you're standing in front of somebody. You've had time to think about it. You've had time to plan it. You have the right photo. It's got the right, you know, kind of gloss on it. And it's nice and pretty. It takes away the blemishes, all that stuff. We've talked about this a lot in the series, but it's key to so much of what we're going through. Because to be quite honest, to edit ourselves might be, according to your heart condition, actually be deception. We might actually be working in a manner of deception when it comes to the way we present ourselves, what we're posting, how we're texting, because we're so afraid of what somebody might think. We're actually putting a front up. And, and last time I checked, the Bible doesn't have good things to say about deception, right? We all agreed on that one. In fact, if you want to go back with me, you can, you can realize one of the most famous times of deception is found in Genesis chapter 27. It's about a young man named Jacob. Now, Jacob has a twin brother named Esau, and Esau is this big, hairy monkey dude who literally has like red hair all over his body. And I'm not joking, he's a big, hairy monkey dude. And he likes to go kill things and bring them home, and he's daddy's favorite. Isaac loves Esau, man. Esau can do no wrong. This kid's a man's man. Uh, hairy, capable of killing things. Yes, and, da- and J- Jacob's not a, he's Mr. You know, no hair on his body, all nice and smooth, mama's boy, stays in the kitchen kind of situation. And so next thing we know, mom knows something that dad doesn't seem to remember, and that is Jacob was supposed to be blessed with the blessing from God. And so dad's getting old. Isaac's lying on the bed. He thinks he's going to die. He can't really see that well. And he's like, oh, send my son in. I need to bless him. And then Esau comes in and says, go get me your, my favorite stew and come in here so I can bless you. So Esau goes out hunting. In the meantime, mom's hearing this and goes, Jacob, get in here. We need to fix this. You're supposed to receive the blessing. Here's what we're going to do. You're going to go kill a goat, bring it to me, and then we're going to set this up. And so he went and, took the, he went and got the goat and brought it to, them, to his mother And his mother prepared delicious food, such as his father loved, it says. And then Rebekah took the best garments of Esau, her older son, which were in her house, and put them on Jacob, her younger son. And the skins of the young goats she put on his hands and on the smooth part of his neck. This dude is hairy, I'm telling you. I have the last name Harris, and I don't have that much hair. Come on, so this is a bad joke, dad joke. Anyway, so the point is, here is this nasty hair put all over him. He's wearing this thing, and he goes into his father with this food. So he went to his father and he said, my father. And he said, here I am. Who are, who are, you, my, who are you, my son? And so I'm using a different voice. You'll see why in a minute. And Jacob said to his father, I'm Esau, your firstborn. I've done as you told me. Now sit up, eat my great game, and your soul will bless me. But Isaac said to his son, how is it that you found it so quickly, my son? He says, well, the Lord has blessed him. And Isaac said to Jacob, wait, come here. I got to feel you, my son, to know whether you are really my son Esau or not. So... Jacob went near Isaac, his father, who felt him and said, Huh, the voice is Jacob's voice, but the hands are Esau's hands. How much more does the Bible have to say this dude is hairy? That's like ridiculous. And so suddenly he says, bring it near me. He eats and then he blesses him. The whole deception is pulled off and it changes the trajectory of Jacob's life. Because the blessing in the Mesopotamian world in this time of Canaan were words that were given to you by the God to give to one of, in your, in one of your progeny. 
And this was Abraham's blessing that had been passed to now Isaac, and Isaac is now giving it to Jacob. It was going to go to Esau, Jacob steals it. Man, that's a lot of conniving to get a blessing. That's a lot of deception to get a blessing. And guys, we'll do a lot more deception just to get something a lot less. Maybe, hey, we'll, we'll make it look good just to get a better like. A few more followers. We have a couple more friends. And what we often do is we will present a picture of ourselves, a text to ourselves, because we're not looking for a blessing. We're just looking for somebody to not get mad at us. We're just looking for something to not be with us, because I can't really tell you what I think here. I can't really engage you with what I'm, what I'm really feeling, because that would be too dangerous. And all of us who struggle with people-pleasing right now feel super guilty. But I'm just, I just want to realize that we've got to be careful that we aren't playing deception games, because when we do that, intimacy dies. And that's what we're seeing. The empathy level in people and the intimacy level between human beings is dropping. You used to have 10 friends in the United States back in the 2000s. On average, the person had 10 friends. Now they say they have two. Intimacy is vanishing. And it's because we're editing ourselves. To bring intimacy, it takes seven full minutes of conversation about inane things before intimacy kicks in. You realize that? It takes seven minutes of talking about the weather and, you know, how's it going, your family? Oh, that soccer game was so fun. And before you actually engage in, how are you really doing? Are you okay? I heard about this. Seven minutes before somebody opens up and suddenly true intimacy and the true conversation really begins. But you, cannot have, you can never gain intimacy by having conversations on texts. You miss the tone of voice, you miss the body structure, you miss the body language, you miss the facial expressions, you miss all the, the majority of the communication. You're not even seeing a person, you're seeing bubbles with words. And so intimacy, though we feel like we have it, it's showing we don't have it and we don't talk long enough. In fact, we're in a church outside. We talk for a few minutes, we're off. You're not getting intimacy at church. Sometimes our small groups, we're gathering together and we're just like, Let's get into this study because you got your stuff done and you're excited to tell, you know, you're ready to tell people your answers. But what's going on is we're avoiding the intimacy. And when we do that, community will disintegrate. You'll feel more alone and more isolated as it tugs on you and you become editing yourself. You begin to wonder, will anybody even really, really want to know me? And so what happens is the third current hits and that is that we start to feel invisible. Screens make us and others invisible. And you just stop and think about it for one minute. When you're sitting behind your, your desktop or you're sitting behind your phone, people that you're communicating with don't see you. You are literally invisible to them. They see the effects of you, but they don't see you. Now, maybe you got you know, FaceTime on or something. Now they're seeing you. Maybe they can hear you. But when it's pure just posting stuff out there, they're not seeing you. They're seeing your media. They're seeing your posts. They're seeing things about you. And this is really interesting because it's, it's happening to change people. We're becoming invisible to each other so much we don't give eye contact anymore. And eye contact feels weird. Um, told you already about this, but I'll reiterate it. I had a first grade teacher come up to me. She's like, you have to tell everybody, listen, this is my first class. These six-year-olds are sitting there, and it's clear they were all raised with screens. So much that it was like screens to watch when you're a kid, to educate and all this stuff. Because now when they sit at the desk, they stare straight down. Hey, Johnny, how are you doing? Fine. They're happy, but you're talking to the top of their head. 
The schools have instituted in, in, in Corona Norco that every time the kids go in and out, you have to make the kid look you in the eye. Hi, how are you doing? Because they know it's that big of a problem. We're learning to look past each other. We're not engaging with each other. We're sitting there and we're just posting and talking. We're completely lost. In fact, we end up multitasking each other. What do I mean by that? Like what I did with Hal. I'm like, this is the sermon. Oh, hold on. I pressed pause on you. I then engaged my screen. Now when I'm done, I will re-engage you. And the idea is here that I'm multitasking. I could, talk to, I could talk to one person and then talk to you. There are people literally out there who can text and look at you. That's just creepy if you ask me. I'm just like, how do you do that? I understand back with a 10 key, but man, some people literally have that ability. Now here's the problem. There's no such thing as multitasking. They've shown this. You can't do more than one thing at a time. You do it at a far lower capacity than if you're focused on one thing at a time. It takes you longer, and so that intimacy time grows. You're not going to engage, and it's going to be a problem. A second thing that happens with this problem when you're invisible is that we feel like what we do now is we need to just speak. They're showing because of social media and all this pressure, we're getting really good at talking. We're not so good at listening. It's fascinating to me. My wife and I have done a lot of weddings over the last um, 20 years, and um, or 16 years of marriage, but we've done a lot of weddings. I've done a lot in a youth group too. And what was funny about it was to be honest, we would show up and we would always get put at the table where we didn't know anybody. And I think it's because they wanted me to save all those people. That's kind of like how that worked out. And it's always, you're like, hi, I don't know any of you. So, and what was funny is we realized early on that, hey, we like to go deep too fast and we're not really good at the banter. We just kind of would end up talking to each other while sitting at the table. So we started figuring out, hey, we're going to have a set of questions that we're going to prepare to find out about people's lives around us. So we had this set that we would talk through and get ready with, and we'd sit down. And at first, it worked great. We would have interactions and conversations. People tell us about themselves, and then they would ask us questions, and we'd tell them about them. Even in premarital counseling, early on, we would tell, they would tell us their story, then they would ask us about our story, and we would give them our story. In the last five years, that's not really happened. We go to a wedding, we sit down, we ask questions, and they love to answer our questions. I haven't received a question back in a long, long time. We haven't had a, a premarital counseling group ask us our story in years. Because what's gone on is we've trained ourselves with social media to talk, 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 check me out. Look, they expect us just to go, okay, now I interrupt you, and I get to talk, talk, talk. And what we're doing is just not paying attention to the person in front of us. We're just talking. We don't listen. We don't ask questions. Think how many times God asks a question in Scripture. He already knows the answer, but he asks it because he wants you to reveal yourself. Adam, where are you? You see, Adam was hiding from God. Before that, Adam was hiding from Eve, and Adam was hiding from himself. When sin had come into his life, he was hiding all right, because first they were naked and unashamed. After sin came in, they were like, ah, we're naked, and they hid themselves behind loincloths and leaves. We just hide ourselves behind technology. And so now we wonder, do people see me? Do they know me? I feel isolated. I feel lonely. And the currents are pulling and pulling and depression is growing. And the wonder, do I know anyone and does anyone even know me, has grown smaller and smaller and smaller to the point that honestly the next piece comes in where screens enable us to be angry. It shows there's this 
inhibition that holds us back when we're with a person when you're angry. You're not going to scream and yell at them unless it's a completely safe environment. And the thing is that what we're finding now is people are willing to yell and scream all kinds of stuff. We call them internet trolls. You guys know what I'm talking about? No trolls in this room. No, we'd ever be a troll in this room. Never. Yes, you would. You know how I know? You live in Corona. In traffic. Like, what are you talking about? Now think about it. You're not yelling at people. You're yelling at cars. It's the cars that are cutting you off. Why are you feeling free to be angry and yell in a car? Even if it's never turned into road rage for you, all of us have gotten to that frustrated point where we're like, stinking person, move! Now imagine you turn that into a type because you're invisible in your car and they're invisible to you as a car. They're just a BMW, a Mercedes, whatever. They're just some other thing that you're like, can't stand that kind of a car. Ah, you know, whatever. Maybe that's my problem. But the point is we wind up struggling to control ourselves because our inhibitions are down. We don't think anybody's looking. This is exactly what's happening on screens. See, when I talk, when I speak, my words go out and they go away. You know how I know that? I ask people all the time, what I preach on last week? And they're like, I don't know. So... Words just go away. When we talk, we can mess up our words, and a week later, nobody remembers what you said, and you're still stewing over it, like, I can't believe I said that. So we like to edit ourselves, and then we feel invisible, and then we start getting angry, because I can say whatever I want if I'm invisible. Nobody, I'm just going to, blah! You stinking political person who disagrees with me, blah! How can you say that that is about, blah! And we just start throwing stuff out there. And this anger is increasing and growing. What they're showing is lowering our empathy. And empathy is critical to compassion. And that is exactly what Jesus called us to be, is compassionate. And so when we think we're invisible, we suddenly feel less empathetic towards other people. We feel like we can crush, yell, scream, do whatever we need. And we're going the opposite direction of what Jesus taught us to be. And so I want to remind you, you're never invisible. I mean, the one time maybe you were invisible, at least to the naked eye, and even, even your mom didn't know you were there, is when you were in her womb at the very beginning, right? When you were that little embryo growing up, when you were that one-celled egg organism, then quickly multi, God knew you. It says here, my frame was not hidden from you when I was being made in secret, intricately woven in the depths of the earth. He's saying, look, even when I was an embryo, even when you were, even when you were forming me, God, even before my mom knew I was there, you have to have a microscope to find me, you knew me. You're never invisible. You've always been you, even at that microscopic level. Even today, though you might hide behind a screen, you don't hide behind a womb, God sees you, he knows you, he knows exactly what you're thinking, and there's no reason to think that God isn't seeing what we're posting. So let us not get pulled in by this stuff. You aren't invisible, you are known, he sees you, he engages you, and with this knowledge then, let's not allow the screens to tell us what to do, let's tell them what to do. Let's engage with our theology and figure out how we can deal with these rip currents that are pulling us under. And the answer comes in navigation. My son Jonathan learned this a few weeks ago. We had my my niece over and her boyfriend and her roommate, and we were sitting around the table having a great conversation, and up came the conversation about rip currents and rip tides. And and, and suddenly Jonathan's like, yeah, I got excited and told the story, and her boyfriend leans and says, yeah, do you know how to get out of one? He's like, no, tell me, because I want to go back to the beach. This would be awesome. 
And so he finds out, oh, when you're in a rip current, you swim along the shore, not towards the shore, because as you swim along the shore, you get away from that rip current and then enables you to get closer and closer and closer, and eventually you come in. And so he taught him how to navigate. And so I think my son Jonathan's told me about how to navigate out of a rip current a few times now because I think, oh, it's locked into his head. That kind of tip is the kind of advice I want to give you guys on how to deal with these currents that we're looking at right now. And so I'm going to give you three different tips to navigate. First and foremost, I believe this first tip is the only one. If you walk away with anything, you should walk away with this one and remember it. Because this is the centerpiece of our theology. It is the centerpiece of what you and I believe. It is the centerpiece of the story of the Bible. And that is that we navigate toward the physical. We navigate toward the physical, not staying away. And you say, well, what do you mean by this? Now think about it. God was in heaven. He created the world. He made human beings. We rebelled. We told God with the finger, get lost. We're going to do it our way. And God goes, no, I love you guys. Yes, I'm going to have to judge this. And so he engages. At first, he starts shouting through prophets and he starts having stuff written down. It's sort of like a text message. We got a whole bunch of them here held on for posterity's sake. And now we have, and so suddenly we get this, we got prophets speaking. Occasionally he would FaceTime us by God showing up in physical form and the angel of the Lord talking to us. And we'd be like, scary. And he's like, okay, we won't do that again. And so he moved closer and closer. And then one day he steps into time. And Paul would be marveling at this as he writes to the Philippian church. He says, Christ Jesus, who though he was in the form of God, did not count equality with God a thing to be grasped. And what he says here is, here he is, he's God, and he's, and he's got all the power and all the authority that you could ever imagine. And we all know where this leads, right? Because power corrupts and absolute power corrupts what? Absolutely. Except for Jesus. Absolute power didn't corrupt him. He didn't hold on to it. He didn't grip it like a greedy person. But he emptied himself, taking the form of a servant. That's the lowest level of the Roman society for humanity. By being born in the likeness of men and being found in human form, he humbled himself by being obedient to the death, even death on a cross. It's the worst death in a Roman society that you can die. And what Paul is saying is that not only did he humble himself, he was identifying not just with the great, the rich, and the powerful. He identified with all of us who struggle, all of us who suffer, all of us who are wrecked in life. All of us who find ourselves living the subservient life, he says, I'm with you. All of us who are finding ourselves broken and worthy of judgment, I'm with you. And what happened for him was he was dying alone on a cross. It's the only way to die. You don't get, he had two guys next to him, but he was alone on that cross. Alone bearing the sins of humanity. Alone bearing the mess that we caused. God navigated toward the physical. In fact, he went in one step even further. He said, I'm just going to ignore all the media. I'm just going to throw the media out now. And you say, what? Not, not the media like you and I think. We think of media as like newscasts and stuff like that. Anything in print form, anything that's in video, anything that's not coming directly into your mind, from your mind, is a media. Something that you would look at with your eyes that comes from outside in. Jesus even is a media to us. But when you know something from your brain, it's called immediate, without a media. That's what immediate means. And so God determined, you know what? I'm going beyond just showing up as Jesus. Here's what's going to happen. Rise from the dead. I'm sending the spirit in you so you will know me immediately. We have the privilege of being, as Christians, the very, the very temple of God. 
that God is immediately present with us. That's why last week I said, don't get distracted. Prepare a place. Be with the God who is right here immediately with you, who is closer than the word of God, closer than just walking with Jesus. He's with you, in you, residing so that you would know him. That's how much he went from just being God in heaven to touching you. That's moving to the physical. That's navigating. Now, how does that work for us? Well, I think James does a good job of kind of illustrating this. In fact, he put it this way. He said, what good is it, my brothers, if someone says he has faith but does not have works? Can that faith save him? Can just the word, I have faith, work? No. He says, no, no, no. If a brother or sister is poorly clothed, lacking in daily food, and one of you says to him, go in peace, be warmed and filled, without giving them the things needed for the body, what good is that? Let's put it in modern terms. If a brother or sister is having a difficult time because someone has died or is hurting in their life and you simply text them praying, what good is that? And I get it. it. We do this. We go praying or even even faster. We just go hands closed together, right? That's it. Let's send that. Thank you. It's like the danger is that our heart condition, some of you pray. I get it. Some of us, we know. We've just done it because we're just like, I don't know what else to say. Praying. But did you stop and pray? And if we're going to navigate towards the physical, maybe the next step over isn't just to say praying, send. Maybe it's to write the prayer. Actually type the prayer out. And you're like, that ain't going to work. Then make a phone call. Setting your alarm to a time you can do it so they can hear your words, so you can hear their voice, so you can hear the tone, so you can actually have the empathy and the compassion that goes with a prayer. Even if you feel like I'm a bad prayer, you know what? It still counts. Maybe you go one step further, FaceTime them. Now you see their face. Now you see their expressions. Now you see their struggle. Now you get what's going on. Take it a step further. Say, I'm coming over. Put the phone down. Get in the car. Head over there. If you have the ability, show up and say, I'm here to pray. Then go one step even further. Put your hand on them. Touch them. Why is laying on of hands one of the most powerful symbols of prayer? Is because there's a connection between the human beings that is going on. It is saying, I am here. I can't be in you, but I can be next to you, and this is the closest I can get. I'm your brother. I'm here. We move to the physical. Like Jesus moved to the physical. We want to engage with people and not just leave them at a distance. When we do that, community begins to grow. Intimacy begins to be seen. You begin to be heard. Visibility begins to drop, and suddenly there's an engagement that's powerful, but we have to move toward this concept. And that means sometimes, yes, I have, to use the, I have to use texting and I only have time enough to do that, but can you move towards the physical? Can you navigate away from the distance and bridge the gap the community is, or that community needs and that technology is formed? Can you do that? If the answer is yes, then do it. As Christians, this is our calling. This is how we live the gospel. This is how we engage with people and with this message. And so whether it's a text, whether it's a difficult thing to say. Remember, what did Jesus tell us to do? If you have something against your brother, go and meet him. That You can't do that online. You have to be with that person. If you're going to deal with hard things, you deal with hard things in person with brothers and sisters who sin. That's what we do. It is physical that we move towards. When that happens, then We'll begin to restore community, but the second navigation has to occur as well. And as we have to navigate towards the intimate and the authentic, and right there, the men are like, I'm out, done, no need to do the intimate thing, I'm good with that one. Now, let's hold on for a second. 
I get it. Us men, we, we have a difficulty with that word intimacy. But let's be honest. We like this word. We need this word because all of us know somebody intimately. That used to be those friendships. And an intimate person is somebody you can be open and real with about what's going on in your life. When I say navigate toward the intimate, I do not mean when you come to church and the greeter says, hey, how are you doing? You go, oh man, last week I was looking at pornography and my wife found out and more she's all mad at me and what's worse is I spent money on it and now it's on my credit card and everybody in my group's all ticked and I just don't know what to do. Can you please pray? You're just like, TMI, time out. Just hold back, man. That is not what I'm looking for right now. There are safe people to be intimate with. They're your friends, they're your spouse, they're your accountability. If you don't have somebody you can be safe like that with, you are in a danger zone. Mark it as a red light. You're in emergency, and now you better go find somebody quick, okay? And don't pay a counselor. Go get a friend. We need friends, but it takes the risk of being intimate. But what brings about intimacy is authenticity. Intimacy without authenticity is dangerous. You realize that? I mean, I've had a close friend. And we were keeping each other accountable, and we were, we were friends, and the good things were going on. As he was helping me, and I thought I was helping him, but I found out the very things we were keeping each other accountable about, he was lying about and doing behind my back. That trust still hasn't completely been healed. Because when you want to pretend to be intimate, and you're being inauthentic, and you're editing yourself for your, your journey, man, men, we don't like that at all. We'll cut you off. Women, you're like, done. We're over. All human beings... Know that authenticity is necessary for intimacy. You have to be real. Now, that does not mean it's like, great, pastor said I get to be real. Come in here, I cuss at work, come drop some F-bombs at church. Here we go. No, that's not what I'm talking about. <laughs> Think about it this way. If you can control your mouth at church, you can control your mouth at work. The intimacy, the authenticity of who you truly are should be the one that you're at at church. Where we're free and we're open and we're real with each other. And yes, there may be some times where in the middle of your conversation with people, you let out something that is a cuss word because your heart is angry and going on there. You know, I'm not here to the, like draw crazy lines and stuff. I'm just telling you guys. If we have self-control here, we need to have self-control there. Allow who you are here to be who you are everywhere. And let those things become integrated because we need to be authentic. We're going to be real if we're going to find true intimacy, if we're going to find real connection with people. And so, yeah, in that small group with those safe people, you need to have somebody you're going to tell the truth to. You're going to be real with them. You're going to be who you truly are. Because this is exactly what God did for us. God didn't edit himself. God didn't edit himself at all. In fact, Jesus comes and he's the image of the invisible God. You want to see what God is like? Go meet Jesus. And who is this Jesus that you meet in the Bible? Mr. Nice Jesus with the lamb on his shoulders and he's all happy and like, peace, brother. You know, no, no, no. We're talking about the Jesus who makes a cord and whips people. We're the one who insults a Pharisee while sitting across from the table in his own house. We're talking about the Jesus who touches the prostitute and says, this is, the girl, this is my sister in, 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 in my family. This is the Jesus who insults his mother who's coming in the door by saying, eh, she's not my mom. Everybody who obeys the word of God, that's my mom. We're talking about this hard-crusted Jesus who is also the angel of the Lord who wiped out an Assyrian army, who was the one who showed up to destroy um, Jericho. I mean, we're talking about Jesus here. We're not talking about our fiction of Jesus that's been created. God was so clear about who he was, the non-Christian knows about this thing called hell. If God was going for popularity, he probably would have edited that one out. But he didn't. God gave us completely who he was. 
completely authentic, completely open so we could be intimate. So what does this mean for us? That means after church, stay around a little while. Spend the seven minutes to connect with that person who you know and grow in that intimacy a little bit. On your group, in your group, put your phone away. Put it in a basket and send it away because they've shown just that the presence of the phone drops the level of intimacy. Just sitting there out in front of people. Put it away and then spend time talking in your small group for a little bit. If you're like, no, I just want to answer the questions. That's great. You can get there later, but spend some time connecting. Build the community. Increase this relationship. Ask those questions because that will ultimately help lead to this last one. And that is to navigate towards encouragement. See, the fear is if I'm open and honest, you're just going to jump on me. You're going to condemn me. You're going to show, you're going to tell me I don't belong here. Somehow I don't, I'm not a Christian or something like that. And, and look, that's not the goal. The goal is to treat each other as God treated us, to love one another as Jesus loved us. And so he tells us, be kind to one another, tenderhearted, forgiving one another as God in Christ forgave you. Man, that's the thing. We're not here to say, I can't you believe you used that word around me. <laughs> and go home and watch your movie. No. We're here to forgive, to care, to lift each other up. But you can't encourage somebody, and you can't be tender-hearted towards someone if you don't really know what's going on in their life. If all you get is edited people, all you're going to get is a response to what you've edited. It's not the real thing. And so what we need to do is be able to engage and forgive as God has forgiven us so we can truly engage in this way. And so that means we need to be careful. We need to navigate towards encouragement. That means when you're all angry about that political position that you disagree with online or that theological position or whatever, you're ready to yell and scream, you take a minute, take a deep breath and pause. Remember, you're not invisible. God sees what you're doing and that likely these texts will show up at your funeral one day, okay? Some of you just gulped real hard. It's like, uh. What we want to do is we want to encourage and engage. And what we need is an intimacy and an authenticity so we know what the problems truly are in each other's lives so we can build one another up. That's where Paul goes. He says, therefore, encourage one another. Build one another up just as you are doing because this is what God does for us. Man, he pointed things out and he engaged us where we needed because he wanted us to have his character. He wants us to be more loving and kind and gentle and faithful. He wants us to have more self-control. He wants us to have all of his attributes growing in us, all of his character flowing through us. And that takes encouragement. And that takes where we see each other in our worst and give each other forgiveness and advice on how to grow. That's where we're able to be open and honest, knowing that I'm not going to get crushed. I'm going to get aided on. I'm going to get loved on. I'm going to get prayed over. I'm going to get pointed in a direction. And this is the goal. But if we're not intimate, if we're not authentic, and if we're not present with each other, if we're not navigating to the physical, you're not going to receive true encouragement. Because there's always room for interpretation of words. There's always room for these kind of things. And here's the thing. In your small group right now, I would advise you to Take some time to re-engage that authentic intimacy. Find out how you can encourage each other. Find out how you can build each other up because some of you are paying for intimacy. You're paying for a counselor. And some of us need counselors, but some of us, you're paying for something that you can get from a good set of friends. And if you just simply had people around you who are willing to accept you for where you're at, care about you, love on you, point you in good directions, you'd find so much healing. They would hold their, the vision of you up in the image of Christ, and suddenly you would begin to move forward. But we're missing that as these currents pull us. Let's not let these screens tell us what to do. Let's instead have the opportunity to navigate 
toward that physical, navigate towards that intimacy and authenticity, navigate towards that encouragement. And watch what God begins to do as we heal, as we come together, and we become leaders in a world that feels alone together. Would you bow your heads with me? That whole conversation about God navigating towards the physical to us is important because there are some of you in this room today who honestly, you're feeling alone, you're feeling distant, you're feeling this pressure. And I want to tell you that God knew that if you were alone, not only would your sin overwhelm you, not only would these problems begin to overwhelm you, but he knew you needed a community, a community where you can truly be accepted for who you are broken and find healing to move forward. And that's what the church is supposed to be. Now, we're not perfect, but I know one who is. And what Jesus did when he navigated as the perfect one to the cross is he said, give me all that junk. Give me all that loneliness and I'll die alone. Give me all that sin and I'll, I'll take it on me. Give me all that hell, which is what we've just described of loneliness and guilt, and I'll bear it for you. And he says, I'll make you an exchange. You give me all that junk. You give me all that sin. You give me all that mistakes and all that mess that you've made. And I will give you all my righteousness, all my goodness as a gift. You don't clean up. I'm going to give that to you. And I want to give you my family. I want to make you part of my community. I want to bring you in and call you my brother, my sister. And here's the thing. If you know you need that, you know you need to receive that gift from God to be forgiven, I want to give you that chance right now to receive it. If that's you and you're ready to make that exchange, would you just put your hand up and saying, that's me, I need that exchange, all my sin for all that family, all that good. And as you put your hand up, I'm just going to walk you through a quick prayer. Start here and say, Father, I know that I've sinned against you. And I want to make this exchange. Would you put all my sin, all my loneliness, all my mess, all my hell on Jesus, please? And would you give me all that righteousness and all that family, all that I need to be connected to you? And then will you navigate and come into my life, please? I trust that you've done this for me in Jesus' name. Amen.